you guys pray with me this morning? Dear most gracious and loving God, thank you for the power and wisdom and comfort that comes from your word. Father God, may we hunger for more of your word. Uh, Lord, maybe there are situations in which some of us are struggling this morning. Maybe somebody is gripped by fear or anxiety. or, Or Lord, maybe we find ourselves in just a great place and we give you all the glory. Lord God, maybe, may we be mindful and obedient of the ways in which you work through Scripture and through the movement of your Holy Spirit. May you open our hearts and our minds, our eyes and our ears to what it is that you want to teach us this morning. That, Lord, we're not simply learning about you, but because of the presence and the movement of your Holy Spirit, we are learning from you. We thank you, Lord, for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was April 30th of 1975, during the last days of the Vietnam War. The North Vietnamese Army was about to roll into Saigon, South Vietnam. Now, the USS Midway was the largest ship in the world when it was first built back in 1955. It was an aircraft carrier. But in late April, the USS Midway was not a battleship as much as it really was a refugee station for thousands of Americans and South Vietnamese who were fleeing the country after the communist forces invaded South Vietnam. Now, literally, one by one, helicopters would fly from the ship to the mainland. It was about an hour away. They would pick up two or three people and then take them back to the ship. 19 hours, 81 helicopters carried more than 1,000 Americans and 6,000 South Vietnamese to this aircraft carrier offshore. The ship would take them to the Philippines and then over to California. There was a guy named Major Buong Lai. He was a major in the South Vietnamese Air Force. He, along with his wife and their five small children, crawled into a single-engine Cessna and headed from the fighting. It was out over the ocean that he noticed the USS Midway. The aircraft carrier's deck was covered with all of these helicopters. They were coming and going incessantly. There was no room to land, so the plane circled around. Major Buong, the the pilot of this small Cessna, dropped something from the airplane, and it crashed down onto the deck of the USS Midway. It was a can, and inside the can was a handwritten note. It said, I can land on your runway. I can fly for one more hour. Please rescue me. Major Buong Lai and his wife and his five children. Now, Captain Larry Chambers, he was the ship's commanding officer. He had never been in a situation like this before, but he knew that if the plane crashed into the icy waters below, no one would survive, especially the five small children. So he called for all hands on deck of the USS Midway. Regardless of one's rank or duty, everyone was called up to the deck. They had no runway because the surface was covered with all of these helicopters. More than $10 million worth of Huey helicopters, therefore, were pushed over into the ocean, into the sea. And once they did that, it made room for all of the, the, or at least for all of his family, for that one single engine Cessna to land on the ship. He landed perfectly right down the middle of the runway. He he came to a stop pretty quickly. He got out. Everyone hugged him, hugged his wife, hugged their family. But to make room for him, they had to to literally just destroy dozens of helicopters, $10 million worth as they fell into the ocean. The Americans were cheering for his family, and they acknowledged what a great job of airmanship that he had displayed. But, But all that work, all that destruction... Pushing more than uh, several dozen perfectly good helicopters into the sea, 
simply to save one family. Wow, to save just one. Friends, it's been said that if Jesus had to die only for you, that he would do it. That's radical stuff. Friends, we're in the midst of a series entitled Radical. We'll bring it in for a landing next Sunday morning. Our faith is radical, you see, because while other world religions entity trying to win their way to God, a faith in Jesus is about a God who loves us, who comes after us, who pursues us, who rescues us. This concept of grace is one that you won't find in any other world religion. And as followers of Christ, grace is a major theological concept. It's radical, but it's there, issued and extended by God to you and to me. Grace refers to that amazing and that sacrificial love of God. We don't deserve it. We can't be good enough to attain it. We can't be nice enough to attain it. We can never earn it. And yet, friends, it is so freely offered. Now, last week we looked at three ways in which we can experience God's grace. There's that grace that extends into our lives before we say yes to Christ, before we even understand God. We use the examples of, of, of children, babies who are baptized, yet yeah, they don't know anything about God yet, and yet they're baptized because that symbolizes God's grace at work in their lives. It's God wooing us into that place, into that time when we can make the invitation to accept what it is that God is calling us to do. That type of grace is referred to as provenient grace. The word provenient, a fancy word that means that which comes before. Before we say yes to God, God has said yes to us and he is pursuing us. His grace working in our lives to bring us to that time in which we can say yes. Now next week we're going to look at the type of grace that we experience after we say yes to God. It's referred to as sanctifying grace. Sanctification is the process by which God is making us more and more like Jesus. But today we're going to focus on that type of grace. It's called justifying grace. The word justified means to be made right. So this type of grace is that grace that makes us right with God. When we accept and we say yes to God's issued uh, invitation to salvation, it's referred to as our justification I mean, think about that. That's, that's pretty radical in itself. That the, the creator of the world, the creator of all that is good, is issuing a personal invitation to you and to me to follow him, to be a part of his family. God loves you so much that he made a rescue plan specifically for you and a rescue plan specifically for me. Let me take you to the book of Romans. That's where we're going to read out of this morning. Let me give you a little bit of backstory, if I may. The book of Romans is Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And like a skilled lawyer, Paul is presenting the argument for Christianity, why it makes sense to be a follower, a pursuer of Jesus. Now, Paul had never been to the church in Rome. He had heard a lot about it. He longed to go there one day. And so the letter to the Romans was really meant as an, uh, just a, kind of an extension of his welcome, of his greeting. He wanted to introduce himself to the Christians who were in the biggest city of Rome. And he stresses that salvation is available and free to anyone 
through our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Rome had a, a pretty strong Jewish community, and at times there would be some tension between the Jewish people and the non-Jews. They were referred to as Gentiles. And so Paul is presenting the facts that Jesus is the, 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 the fulfillment of all of the Jewish prophecy, to let them see that, yeah, Jesus is the one that you guys have been praying for, that your prophets have been writing about for literally hundreds and hundreds of years. And Paul is laying down the foundation for this central theological concept of justifying grace. Justification by faith. Remember, justifying means what? To be made right. Well done. One of you is listening. I love you. Thank you. <laughs> justifying grace. We are justified. We are made right. How? By our works? No. By our faith is what Paul says. Justification is about our faith in Christ. No longer, you see, is religion about our behavior, but now it's about our belief. Romans 3, chapter, or excuse me, chapter 3, verses 22, 23, and 24. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, uh, there are a lot of big kind of religious, kind of theological words in that passage. We have righteousness. That's a word that means godliness. It means holiness. We saw the word justified. You guys remember what that means. It means to be made right. It refers to our salvation. We are made right, not by our works, but by our faith in Christ. And then it has the word redemption. Redemption means that a price was paid for you and for me by Christ Jesus. Now, uh, the message is a, a popular translation of the uh, New Testament. They also have one in the Old Testament as well. Uh, but the message is the, the, the gospel and in the remainder of the, the letters all the way to Revelation in the New Testament that, that kind of puts it in a language that might be easier to understand. Let me read some of this, okay? The God setting things right, okay? the God setting things right that we read about has become Jesus setting everything right. Not only for us, but for everyone who believes in him. For there is no difference between us and them in this. Since we've compiled this long and this sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious life that God wills for us, God did it for us. His sheer generosity has put us in right standing with himself. It's a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in, and he restored us to where he always wanted us to be, and he did it by the means of Jesus Christ. He's emphasizing the fact that no matter how good I try to be, no matter how nice I try to act, I'm, I'm still a sinner in need of a Savior. And God, through his amazing love and his amazing grace, sent a Savior for us. God's grace is freely given to us in the form of both forgiveness but also in redemption. They're, they're two separate things. Forgiveness means that God wipes away our sin. But you see, the word redemption is about a relationship. God is welcoming us back into a right relationship with him. It's through our faith in Christ that we experience forgiveness 
and we experience redemption, that God is allowing for the restoration and the connection that God wants with us. Not only are we forgiven, our relationship with God is restored. God sees us not only as forgiven, he sees us as righteous. Now, I can't be as righteous as God wants me to be, yet through the death and the resurrection of Christ, through my faith in Christ, we see that reconciliation take place, that redemption coming through, that righteousness being offered. That God sees you not only as a sinner who has been forgiven, but because of the sacrifice of Christ, God sees you as righteous. That's powerful stuff. God sees us as righteous. John Newton was a guy, maybe some of you have heard of him. He grew up in England, 1700s. As a young boy, he dreamed a ship captain. After all, his father was the commander of a large ship, and John seemed to have a love for the salty air and the high seas. In fact, when John was 11 years old, his father took him aboard a ship setting sail for the Mediterranean. And John loved the sea, but John lacked discipline. He lacked manners. He lacked morality. He was considered by a lot of people to be that bad apple. He was always getting into trouble. During his teenage years, John was enrolled into the British Navy, but he soon deserted the military. He was arrested for desertion, and he was publicly flogged in the center of London. Years later, he found himself on another ship, this one headed towards the African coast, and he was continually getting, tr getting in trouble. He was disliked by the other sailors on the ship, especially his superiors, whom John treated so disrespectfully. In Africa, John was working as a slave trader, a despicable vocation. He was intrigued by the slave trade. But soon, John was forced to work on a slave plantation. He was working alongside the slaves. And at age 21, John escaped. He, he hopped on a ship called the Greyhound, which was heading back to England. On the voyage, John made fun of some Christians aboard the ship. He was especially ridiculing of a book they were in reading. It was entitled, The Imitation of Christ. And that night, the Greyhound, this ship which John was on, encountered a violent storm. The ship's side had caved in and water was gushing into the hull of the ship. Usually, such damage would cause the ship to sink in a matter of mere minutes. John was scared and he thought that he was going to die. And for the first time in his life, he prayed and he cried out to God. If this will not do, he prayed, the Lord have mercy on us. Historical records show that the Greyhound didn't sink. John returned to England, and you know what? He dedicated his life to God. He got rid of that violent, nasty, vile past that he had been living, and he turned his heart to God. He became a minister. He became good friends with John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement. But, but John Newton, this former bad boy, this former slave trader, the former non-believer, knew now that God was alive and well in his life. And so John Newton sat down. He wanted to write a song to celebrate God's presence, a song that many of you probably know. This is what John Newton wrote. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. As John and his life illustrate to us, friends, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, 
God's pursuing you. God loves you. No matter how bad someone seems, always remember that he or she is loved by God and he or she is never beyond the outstretched arms of a loving heavenly father. John Newton's lyrics echo the the scripture that we read last week, Ephesians 2.8. You are saved by God's grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift to you. So both the Apostle Paul and the, the hymn writer John Newton teach us that our salvation is not something that we earn or we deserve. It comes about because of God's grace and God's gift to you. And it's not only about forgiveness as we looked at earlier. I mean, that would be just good enough if that's all it was, but, but it's not. God doesn't stop there. God gives us the righteousness to be in his midst, to be in his presence. Romans 5, 1, it declares, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, okay, made right by our faith in God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 3, 24 says, So then the law, our guardian, until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. We find this dripping all throughout the New Testament, the, the, the grips of God's grace holding us and wooing us into a relationship with him. Now, last week we used the example of a house, provenient grace, that grace that comes before we say yes to Christ. It's kind of like a, a front porch. Remember last week we had the, the front porch motif up here. You would take a flower and you'd put it in the flower pot and you see the flower pot right down there. It was our way of acknowledging that, that we are on the porch before we accept the invitation to go into the house. We have the choice whether or not to accept that invitation to go into the house, to go into that front door. God then gives us full reign to enjoy being a member of that household. So, so remember the analogy of the house. We're going to come back to that. So, so friends, justifying grace, it frees us from the performance of treadmill theology. What, what do I mean by that, treadmill theology? Maybe you've heard of that before, maybe not with that term, but treadmill theology is performance-based religion that, that leads to one of two things, either pride or despair. Either pride or despair. If you keep the rules, then you might become arrogant because the other people aren't keeping the rules as well as you do. But if you ever fail or you fall with those rules, then you feel a sense of despair, of desperation. But it's that justifying grace that is so lovingly issued by God. It gives us that full assurance that God won't love us anymore. He can't love us any more than he does now. And he won't love us any less despite of what we do or, we may or where we may have gone. And through that grace, that justifying grace, our acceptance before God and the grounds for our righteousness come through Christ and only through Christ. It's that grace that bridges the gap between where we are now and where God wants us to be. So what a powerful declaration that is. You see, because of sin, uh, we're, we're not where God wants us to be. But his grace allows us to be where we need to be. It's a gift from God. That God desires to be in relationship with each of us. And, and the truth is, I'm a sinner. I have failed. I have fallen. 
But God is perfect. And yet, despite that, God wants a relationship with me. I'm a fallen sinner. God is pure, holy, and perfect, and righteous. And yet, God wants me to be in relationship with him. You talk about an odd couple. Wow. God loves you. You might as well get used to it. I want you to check out the big screen. and We talk about another odd couple. Check this out. Retire, many pack their derms for the elephant sanctuary in Tennessee. They arrive here one by one, but stay here two by two. Every elephant that comes here searches out someone that she then spends most all of her time with. What are you doing? Sanctuary co-founder Carol Buckley says it's like best girlfriends. It's just like us, you know, somebody that they relate to, they have something in common with. Oh, hello, how are you? Debbie has Ronnie. Best buds, <laughs> these two. Misty can't live without Delory, and perhaps the closest friends of all. <laughs> Tara and Bella, of course. <laughs> There's no other elephant around here? That's Tara. Just these two. And this is Bella. This is her friend, and her friend just happens to be a dog and not an elephant. That's hilarious. Bella is one of more than a dozen stray dogs that have found a home at the sanctuary. Most want nothing to do with the elephants and vice versa. But not this odd couple. They are absolutely inseparable. When it's time to eat, they both eat together, they drink together, they sleep together, they play together. Tara and Bella have been close for years, but no one really knew how close they were until recently. A few months ago, Bella suffered a spinal cord injury. She couldn't move her legs, couldn't even wag her tail. For three weeks, the dog lay motionless up in the sanctuary office. And for three weeks, the elephant held vigil. 2,700 acres to roam free, and Tara just stood in the corner. To me, it really was she was concerned about, about her friend. Then one day, co-founder Scott Blake carried Bella onto the balcony so she and Tara could at least see each other. And Bella's tail started wagging, you know, and, and we had no choice but to bring Bella down to see Tara. You know? They visited like this every day till Bella could walk. Wow. Today, their love and trust is stronger than ever. Bella even lets Tara pet her tummy with her foot. They harbor no fears, no secrets, no prejudices. Just two living creatures who somehow manage to look past their immense differences. Take a good look, America. Take a good look, world. If they can do it, what's our excuse? So you talk about an odd couple there, the dog and the elephant. Talk about the odd couple of a perfect mighty, holy, and righteous God wanting to be in relationship with me and with you. Friends, as we wrap up our time together this morning, I'm going to invite you, if you have them, to, to take out your phones. You'll find a couple of questions up on the big screen. I invite you to take a picture of those questions and maybe discuss them over lunch or maybe with your family or your friends later on, maybe throughout the week. It's a great opportunity to talk about the things that God is doing in your life. So as you take a picture of the big screen, like I said, I challenge you, I invite you to, to do something with that through uh, this week. And as we wrap up our time together in here during our closing song as we stand and sing, uh, we've got the doorway here. Remember, the, the front porch represents God's grace that we experience before we say yes to him. 
The door represents us saying yes to the invitation of Christ to accept him as our Savior and as our Lord. We invite you to, uh, to go through the door. We'll open it for you. It's, it's sturdy. It's going to be okay. Just walk through it towards the front. It's just a symbolic act that, you know what, yes, we have said yes to Jesus. Yes, Christ is alive and well in our lives. And, and yes, we, we look for, we notice, and we appreciate that awesome, amazing grace in our lives. So in just a moment, I'll invite you to come do that. In the, the meantime, let's go to God in prayer. Would you pray with me? Well, Lord God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Thank you that we can live in your light and walk in your truth. May the things that you have revealed and the thoughts that we have shared dwell in our hearts and stir us, Lord, to action. May your Holy Spirit convict us of the ways in which we need to fully and finally turn to you. May we be reminded of the fact that Scripture says that there is no condemnation in Christ. We thank you for that assurance and that forgiveness. Lord, allow us to realize that the Christian life is not about what we do. It's about what Christ has done for us and about the work the Holy Spirit is now continually doing in us with us and through us. Father God, continue to heal us, to mold us, to make us new from the inside out. Your love is so everlasting, there is no end. We thank you for the gift of eternal life and the hope and peace and the joy that you offer in this life. We ask all of these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's stand together and we'll sing our closing song this morning. Like I said, I'll invite you just to, to step through the doorway. May it be a symbolic but a powerful reminder of us saying yes to accept the invitation of Christ to go into that door.